You hear that? Your dog knows spring is coming sooner than you think. Dog walks, dog parks, playing fetch, all the stuff your dog loves to do with you. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas and ticks are in the grass, in the woods, and even on their dog friends. Fleas are an itchy nuisance, can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot, but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMeds has your furry friend protected with the best products to prevent flea and ticks all year long. PetMeds pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. And PetMeds AutoShip helps you save even more with additional discounts on regular shipments of PetMeds, dog food, and other high-quality supplies. So get ready for all the spring fun now. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com and promo code PODCAST. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show today. No Jared Mack for this one. He's down in Scottsdale covering the Oregon baseball team in the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, we'll have to have Jared on to recap that and also to explain to me the format of this tournament because I am completely confused. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Um, have you have you seen this? Have you seen this? Uh, I'll be honest. I don't understand what's going on either, Matt. So, yeah, J- Jared giving us an explanation would be good. Might not be good podcasting, but it would be helpful for me at least. Three pods for a tournament, and then they take the top team, I think, and one wild card. It just – it. Just play a normal format tournament. Like a, it's, pods. It's, like a, it's like a soccer. It's like a World Cup thing, I guess. Maybe. Okay. But I'm trying to see how, how my voice can go, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we've got a mailbag uh, for you on today's show because we shouldn't talk baseball because you and I, uh, that's not our area of expertise uh, per se. So we'll let the expert come on the show and explain it to us next time. And Jared. Um, but mailbag, we've got a lot to get to on this one. Um, I don't know about you, but I saw the questions, Eric, and it just kind of like got me a little excited because they're all football questions and we've been trolling, you know, the, the internet for a, a while looking for you know good football questions and it's, they're starting to come in on a more frequent basis, which just to me tells me fan base is a little bit more excited. Football season's a little bit closer. I think we're like now less than a hundred days since until the next first football game of the season. So I, I don't know, just a little, little pep in the step looking at these questions. Yeah, we had almost exclusively football questions or a couple of baseball, softball questions, but because Jared wasn't going to be on the show, we decided to hold off on that. And as Matt said, we'll probably do something next week, kind of looking back at that, um, depending upon how Oregon does and their NCAA tournament seating and everything, because Jared will give us some great insights there. But everything else was football. And it got, I mean, we've got four questions here. Um, there were a couple that were getting very into the specifics and the nuance of the season. I wanted to kind of hold off on, you know, making score predictions for games or talking about specific matchups until we get a little closer. But I thought there were some great questions just from a broad sense. And we're going to start with one that is about as broad as you could get. And I just thought it was a good starting off point from at Duck Cruise. Now that spring is over and the roster is pretty much set for fall. How are you guys feeling about this team going into the 2023 season? Hashtag Otson Audibles. And I thought this was just a good place to start. I'm not sure we've really sat and, and discussed this in great length um, since the roster's kind of been finalized. You know, we have to acknowledge that over the last couple of weeks, they've added an offensive lineman. They've 
you know, in the last month they've added a couple tight ends, they've added a receiver, a, a defensive back. So they've kind of filled up some of these holes. That was what we expected them to do. And I look up and say, you know, the, the, the positions we had concerns about tight end, maybe a little bit receiver, maybe some of the defensive backfield stuff. I won't say it's completely rectified or, you know, everything is hunky dory, but, um, I, I certainly feel a little bit better at tight end, just having you just have a couple more bodies there. It's not a situation where, hey, if Terrence Ferguson isn't available, you're looking at two scholarship guys. You know, they'll get to fall and um, and have more than that. They'll have a couple more than that. And, and Caden Ludwig isn't a scholarship player, but he's somebody we talked about in this podcast who could be sort of valuable. So I think tight end, they definitely improved. That makes me feel a little bit better. Um, adding Gary Bryant Jr., um, who I know we've talked about a fair amount here, but I think that was significant in terms of solidifying the receiving core. And then defensively, yeah, I, I, I don't know how much really has shifted because they did so much of their heavy lifting previously, but um, you have to like finding and, and, and adding starting caliber defensive backs, and, and that's what they did with Nico Reed. So, um, oh, and then I didn't mention it. Um, they added a punter. So, and that was a position that was really bad last year. And hey, it doesn't hurt to have more there. So, I like what they've done. It doesn't feel like in the last, let's say, month or so that they've like really taken a huge step forward. But I think all the guys they've added have a chance to be contributors. And, and you certainly feel just better at tight end with having the depth there. I know Jared's not on this podcast, but he was the one, you know, kind of pushing that the whole offseason. They need to get two. They got one scholarship guy, they got another guy who's borderline scholarship player. I think that's, I think, a job well done there for the staff at tight end. I, you've covered a lot there, so I don't I don't think I'm going to go through each position group um, and, and provide my thoughts because I agree with a lot of of what you said. Um, I think from a totality standpoint, like the idea for me was when Bo Nix came back, announced that he was coming back to school, and a couple other key guys decided to come back. That and when you looked at the recruiting class that they signed in December and then a couple pieces that they signed in February going into spring ball. I felt like, okay, this is a team that, you know, 10 wins is more than attainable. 10 wins is kind of the goal. I don't know if it's the bench, you know, it's probably the benchmark, you know, for this team, like a nine win season for Oregon would feel a little down, but you have to factor in that the league's going to be really good. Sure. So that factors in a little bit. But a 10-win regular season kind of feels like the goal, the expectation. And then when you look at what they've done from the transfer portal, from other recruitments, other additions, um, and you look at the guys that are back, I, I feel like 10 wins is, is kind of the, the benchmark for this year. And the idea that, hey, they're good enough. It's going to be hard. It's a tough league. They play a, a tough road game week two at Texas Tech, but the stars could align, and this could be a team that goes eleven and one going into a conference championship game. Is that what I'm going to predict? No, I, I don't think that. You know, and in, in, in May, end of May, right now, I'm not going to say that, but that's I think a realistic possibility. And if you go eleven and one going into your Pac-12 championship game, you're more than likely going to be right in the thick of the college football playoff hunt. Does that mean they get in? I, I don't know. But you have a senior quarterback. You've got a, a bunch of veterans along the defensive side of the football. You've got a star receiver. You've added a couple receivers. You've recruited a couple receivers. You've developed a couple guys as well in that group. You've got a good tight end. Like you said, though, the depth there isn't 
maybe what it was last year, but we'll see what happens. You've got some new pieces along the offensive line, but talented players. You've got two stud running backs. The possibility of, a, of an 11-1 season or going into the end of November and you're in the thick of the playoff hunt is real. Is it? Is, what, is that what I'm saying is going to happen? No, but we can have that discussion. Like, hey, they're good enough to be in the discussion at the end of the year for a playoff spot. I, I was just thinking about it. Do you think? Would you agree with this, Matt? I think this is the best Oregon roster at least since 2019. And I go back to 2019 because that was Herbert's last year. That was Troy Dye's right. last year. You had a lot of star power. I, I might still take that 19 roster over this one, but I do think there are areas on this team where they're certainly better. I mean, I think running back to start, I think probably receiver to start. And they're not as good along the offensive line. That 2019 defense, we have to remember, had some had some real superstar caliber players. And, <clears throat> you know, the 2020 team was probably going to be really good too. Obviously, we didn't get to see it. They would have lost Herbert. But anyway, but no, I, I, I think that's one of the ways to look at it. I think this is the most complete roster that Oregon has had in, in about half a decade. Um, it's crazy to say I would that. Agree with, I would agree with that. Yeah. Like, the thing that, that probably separates the 2019 team from this year's team is you looked at that unit and said, okay, going into the first game of the season against Auburn, you knew Herbert was going to be a, a first-round top-10 draft pick. Mm-hmm. Um, going into that season, you knew the, the following year – Penny Sewell was going to be an elite draft pick. You know, I don't know if we were ready yet to say he was going to be the number one offensive tackle, but it was very easy to say, hey, he's going to be a first rounder uh, in a year when when he gets done with school. And then Kayvon Thibodeau was was a freshman, and you were like, we haven't seen a down yet from Kayvon Thibodeau, but this type of body type, this type of athleticism, this type of player – he has the potential to be a first-round draft pick. I don't know if we ha- if we can say that about anybody on this team right now um, being a first-round draft pick for you know going into the season. Maybe Bonix plays a- an unreal year and plays his way into the first round. Maybe a Brandon Dorless has that type of season on the defensive side of the football where he plays himself into the first round. I- maybe there's an offensive lineman. I, I don't know, but. There's a lot of NFL talent, no doubt about it, but there's not that superstar guy like that you said, you know, probably why you would tip to, to 2019. That's why I would I would tip to 2019. But I agree with you. Like this is probably the most complete team we've seen uh since that team in 2019. And they were like end of November, they were in the college football playoff picture until they lost. Yeah, and I, I guess I, I'm in agreement in terms of the NFL caliber. I was only made the point first, so obviously I do. But I also think there are guys on this roster who are possible, who are capable of elevating themselves to that point. I think sure. there's quite a few. And you mentioned a couple of them. I think Troy Franklin's a name who, you know, I know he's pretty slight of build, but if he's really productive, there's a lot of things he does really, really well. And if he has a strong, you know, if his, if his measurables turn out, I could see him being somebody who's attractive early on in an NFL draft. So uh, Jordan Birch is a name that, again, he's kind of your Kayvon Thibodeau, even though he's older in that he's, Big time pedigree, hasn't played at Oregon. We're kind of basing it on pedigree. And if he has a big season, I could see him taking a step. So yeah, I, I'm in I'm in agreement. I, I still take 19, but I think it's gonna be a situation where um, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we come out of 2023 saying, gosh, that's the best team that Oregon has had in, I don't know, since they've made an, an you know, a national championship run in 14. You know, I I, I could see like, like the talent is in place where you could start having those kind of discussions, of course as is obvious, we have to get to the season to get there. But I, I do think the upside, and I really like this roster, I guess, is just a way of, you know, it was a long kind of way of getting there. 
I think there's a lot to like right now and, and a lot of reasons to be optimistic. And to Matt's point, there was a reason I predicted Oregon would win 11 games back in probably March. Um, and certainly nothing that's happened since would dissuade me from, from making that kind of a prediction. So, all right. Uh, second one from at Tim Reeves 44. Uh, welcome, Tim. I think this is the first time we've read one of your questions. Appreciate you asking. What non-transfer is poised for the biggest jump this year? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Thank you for using the hashtag. I believe we want four for four uh, with the use of the hashtags. That's always great. Um, thought this was an interesting one. Uh, you know, if we're talking non-transfer, we're talking, I'm, I'm using this as returners. I'm not really, I don't think a true freshman, you could say, makes a big jump because there's nothing to base it off of. And you could, I guess, convince me like, hey, a guy who wasn't here before winds up being one of your best players by end of season. I guess that would be a big jump. But I, I took this more as returning guys who aren't portal players. And so the hard part with this is finding those kind of guys who have an opportunity to start. And I think there's two that are really obvious on offense, but there really aren't any on defense. So I'll, I'll kind of name the guys I think of on offense. I think Josh Connerly is going to be your starting left tackle. There's a guy who I think is poised for a big jump. And then uh, you know Jackson Powers Johnson, I think, is, is going to be your, your starting center. So there's another guy who has a chance to make a big step. And I think both those are very capable players. I think we've all been encouraged what we've seen with them um, in non-starting roles, and now that they have an opportunity to be full-time guys, we expect they will. Both have to win the job officially, I guess. But I would name those two are probably the obvious ones. And then on defense, Matt, I don't know if you thought differently. I really couldn't think of a guy because uh, because what Oregon did this offseason primarily was uh, plug-and-play portal guys. They went and added a bunch of, like all the positions where there were position battles almost. They went out and added guys to the portal who are, I think, going to come in and start. So I threw out a couple of names. I don't really know if either of them – necessarily have a starting job but I mean Dante Manning is certainly in the cornerback competition so there's a name and a guy who obviously people know from an upside perspective and then I I wrote down Devin Jackson's name just because I thought he had a great spring game and I guess it's possible maybe he pushes to become a two deep guy after being somebody who, who redshirted and barely played last year but defense was hard for me I think you're going to see a lot of the same guys who were key players last year and then the players that are going to be newer names for you or, or less familiar are going to be people who they've added through the portal. I guess I would, I would ask like, how are we going to define poise for our biggest jump? Because like you, like I don't no real name defensively instantly stood out, but like a guy that could see a big jump, but has played a lot is Jamal Hill, like oh, sure. going, going from safety to linebacker. And like you said, like they brought in some transfers. Maybe he doesn't start, but maybe his production and his impact is increased while his snap counts are decreased because of the position. I I, I don't know, but that would be a name. Maybe if, if we're just talking about like, who's going to see a, a, a increase in production or an increase in just the impact of a game, like that would be one for me because He's changing positions and he looks pretty good at that position. Mm -hmm. um, and then like, I, I, I like the Devin Jackson one as well. The linebacker behind Jamal Hill. Um, that would be one. But then like, how do we grade poised for a big jump? Because Jackson Powers Johnson is a guy that's played a lot of football out of Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's, I think played 23 or 24 games. He's got, maybe a handful of starts under his belt. A lot of that came in 2021. Um, but he's never been a full-time starter. Now he's in a position to maybe earn that spot. 
And if he does, like that, I think that naturally would be one. But he's not a name. He's not a new name. Everyone knows who Jackson Powers Johnson is. Um, I guess maybe on offense, I would think maybe about Patrick Herbert because, again, a, a known name, but a guy that you know has played just 15 games in his first four, five years at Oregon. He played two mm-hmm. in 2019, and then he played in all the games last season didn't play any in 2021 he was out all of 2020 with an injury um so he's entering his fifth season of football and he's got 15 total games his name is certainly known but on the field his production has been limited and with the the depth at tight end the lack of depth at tight end like that could be one that he's been in the program he's played a lot last season but now he could potentially see his his role expand exponentially um, if he's healthy and if he can stay on the field, but you're right. Defensively, it's it's hard. Um, like I want to say, like maybe a guy like Jaleel Florence, mm-hmm. um, or maybe a guy like JJ Greenfield. But these are known names. These are guys that played. That you know, it's hard on the defensive side of the football, and that's why you have to, you know, decide how do we want to define poise for a big jump because right, some of these guys have played a lot. Can I can I put another angle on it? And I, and I hadn't thought of it initially, but as we we're talking, it made some sense here. In part because the team really needs it, and secondly because Dan Landing suggested this is a position group where you see improvement from year one to two. And that would be like Jeffrey Bossa. Yeah, I know he is a very much a known name, two year starter. People know who he is. I've been obviously quite critical of him um, on this podcast. I could see him going from being what is perceived as one of the weaker linebackers in the conference to maybe being, I'm not going to say a top linebacker in the conference, but maybe he just becomes a little above league average. And that could be a big difference for this defense. Yeah. If you just get a little bit better or a lot better play at linebacker. And so I know he's a no name. He's played probably a thousand snaps. He's, you know, he started 20 plus games in his career. I'm just saying, if you're going to go a big jump from, maybe not being a very high quality starter to being a higher quality or a, you know, a good to a great starter, that would be a big poise or that would be a big jump, I should say. And, and I think he's somebody who's capable of doing it. And, and as we, I know Matt and I, we, we were there when Dan made the comment um, and kind of followed up with him about it of why, of why, you know, there is sometimes growth from year one to two in this defense, especially at linebacker. And, you know, his, his point was that this is a complicated defense and it takes some time for people to kind of get everything figured out and, you know, and, and, and to get to a point where it is truly read, react and not just read, 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 read. Oh crap. I need to be reacting. And now I'm, you know, a step slow and out of place. So um, that would be another one to throw out there. I know it's not conventional and it kind of breaks the original way we were perceiving it, but I don't know. That one kind of makes some sense. If you look at it from that perspective, um, I don't know. I, defense, as we've said already, is is just tough. I I was struggling to come up with names. I did like Matt throwing out Jaleel Florence. That was a guy who I sort of forgotten, but that would kind of fit into that Connerly situation where you go, okay, year one, true freshman, pretty productive player, had some nice moments. Go into year two, maybe he can. I don't know if he's going to start, but maybe he's your third corner and and you and he plays a lot in in you know different passing situations. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we'll uh, open up the second half of the mailbag. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bowling Branch and how you can discover this new level of softness with their iconic sheets. 
In a recent customer survey, 96% responded that Bull & Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They source the rarest 100% organic cotton for an incredible softness to start. Then they skip the toxins and harsh chemicals for a natural feel unlike anything else, and it all comes together with their signature weave. This special design feels buttery, breathable, and unlocks new levels of softness with every wash, and they stand behind their promise of softness. With their 30-night guarantee, you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. If during the 30 nights, you don't love your sheets or feel them getting softer and softer, you can send them right back. No questions asked. So head to BollandBranch.com for 15% off your first order with code ODYSSEY. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, Matt Prem and Eric Scopel here doing the mailbag edition. Two questions in, two more to go. Here we go. Third one from a familiar name, uh, at Ross Maselich. Ross asks, asks <laughs> which position coach do you think has the most pressure to recruit their position at a high level? Hashtag Odds and Audibles. It's kind of another tough one um, for me. I, I went through and, and thought about this a lot. Um you kind of had to take into consideration maybe what you've got already in a class. So like in 2023, like there's a couple of position groups where like you've got two quarterbacks. So this cycle, at least Will Stein doesn't have much pressure on him because I think he's done. Um, I guess yep. you, you would say the pressure would be on him to retain both Van Buren and Moga, but there is no pressure for him to add. Same thing with Drew Maringer, who would have been one of the names I would have brought up right away. Cause I know I felt like last year his miss on Riley Williams. I know there was some, it was a compli more complicated situation than in-state tight end goes to Miami because he ended up transferring down to IMG and everything. But <clears throat> that was a kid in Oregon's backyard that was a top 150 recruit. Um, can't remember who he might have finished top 100. Who who you felt like, gosh, it's kind of a miss for Maringer. But he went out this cycle. There were two big-time tight ends in the state, and he they landed one of them in A.J. Pugliano. And uh, Jackson Ford is a person who I know there's there's some upside with. So. I didn't want. I didn't think his name worked. Uh, Carlos Lachlan for twenty twenty three or twenty twenty four hasn't added anybody. That part needs to be changed. But I also go his his recruiting to this point has been awesome, it's tremendous. So I don't really want to throw his name out there. And then of course Demetrius Martin Jr. Adams, uh, you know Tosh Lupoi, uh, those guys have been awesome. Chris Hampton, by the way, kind of gets overlooked. Aaron Flowers is the highest rated safety Oregon's ever got a commitment from. And Hampton landed him in his very first cycle here. So I think the pressure's kind of off him as well. So I landed on, on these were the two names I landed on, um, Alik Terry and, and Joe Lorig. Uh, Terry being one because I think there's a lot of need on the offensive line this cycle. 
they've started out strong with Fox Crater um, and Trent Ferguson. We had um, Huffman on the show the other day. He talked a lot about that Brandon Baker recruitment. I think that's a big one for Terry, but there's other names to know. And I think I feel pretty good about Oregon's offensive line recruiting here, <clears throat> but based upon the reputation and the need this cycle, I think it's important. And then I mentioned Lorig because I know it won't be something that people talk about a lot, but if they don't special figure teams. out their special team stuff, it's like, it's a real problem, you know? And if, if, if this year with um, Luke Dune and we think he might be the guy, or maybe it's, <clears throat> maybe it's going to end up being uh, the Austin P transfer whose name I'm is escaping me right now. Like you need one of these two guys to hit this year. And certainly if those guys aren't hits this year, there's a ton of pressure then in 2024 to go find a punter or a kicker or just something in this kind of, you know, in this realm that that'll work. And I, I think Lorig has done to this point a solid job recruiting, but the, in terms of what we saw in 2022, it's hard not to be like, okay, we need to see some production here. So I, I, I threw those two up there as at the top of my list. Matt, was there anyone else that really stood out or, or what, what was your kind of take? Um, the first one that came to my mind was Leek Terry. And I don't think the one that came to the reason why it wasn't because I, I, I doubt him um, and his abilities to coach and his abilities to recruit, but like he's one of the youngest mm -hmm. power five assistant coaches out there. And I think with that notion comes a lot of expectations and comes a lot of pressure. Like, wow, they, they, they had a lot of options that had a lot more experience than him. And they picked a guy that's very, from a, from a coaching standpoint, this isn't quality or good. Just he doesn't have the, the lengthy resume that others that applied for that job have. Sure. And that just naturally creates a little bit of like, wow, this, this better work out. He better be good type deal. I think it will be. I think he's a smart dude. He's got a good background. Uh, I think you look at the, the, the staff that he's built around him from a, from an analyst and an assistant coaching standpoint. He's got, he's got things that, you know, people to lean on. Um, I think Elite Terry will work out, but I just think there's just natural pressure there, just like there was last season for Kenny Dillingham at, mm -hmm. at the OC. Really young guy, hasn't really been a play caller before under his own right. And look, look how it played out. Tremendous season. Um, can we expect that good of a year from Elite Terry? I don't think that's fair, but I think he's got a really good group. So that would be the first one that, that really has to hit for me. Um, and then there's two other guys that I've got. Um, Tosh Lupoy being one. Um, his position group, the linebackers, and I know he also works a little bit with the edge guys. Right. Um, like that group has – they were really bad last season. Um, this season, uh, you look at the, you know, the team, and they could be – replacing a, a good chunk of those players once again and whether they're good or not you're gonna have to replace guys and i just think i don't you don't doubt his ability to recruit certainly i mean his track record is unparalleled um but there's just i think there's pressure here that they've got to go out and they've got to load up on some of these defensive linemen some of these edge guys some of these linebackers because when you look at the depth chart jordan birch could be gone Justin Jacobs could be gone. Jamal Hill will be gone. Jeffrey Bassa could be gone. Mace Funa will be gone. Uh, and then you have got, you know, at, at, up front defensive line-wise, Brandon Dorless is gone. Casey Rogers is gone. Popo Omavi is gone. Um, the front seven for the defense next year will look entirely different. 
And I just think that there's a huge need there to, to, to finish strong. And they did a lot of heavy lifting last season, mm-hmm. which has to be factored mm-hmm. in, you know, with the guys that they signed, Jaden Moore, uh, Mateo, Tatum Tuioti, uh, and then they added like three or four freshman defensive linemen uh, to that group as well. So that that helps, but they got to do it again in, in 2024. Uh, and then the other name I have is Drew Maringer, tight end. Oh. Um, yeah, AJ Plugliano is is a great get. Um, that's that's a good that's a good start. Um, Patrick Herbert and and Terrence Ferguson are on the roster next season if they want to be. Kenyon Sadiq will, will be a sophomore or a redshirt freshman. So you've got you've got some pieces, but they still need more here. And you know, I I feel like the tight end spot is a little bit weak from a depth perspective. Jared's hammered that home. To, to death. Uh, and, and so I think you need it, whether it's transfer portal or whether it's another high school guy, a Juco guy, or maybe you, you've got some kind of walk-ons that you feel like could really turn into something down the road. Like I, I still think Drew Maringer's got to, got to work with this position well as well. Yeah. Mer- Maringer's name, just in general, I think is worth noting. Um, we haven't mentioned, I, I just realized Tony Tuioti's name never came up for either of us. Um, thought he's done a really good job, by the way. And in fact, like if you look at, I just I have last year's Pac-12 recruiter rankings pulled up. Oregon had Demetrius Martin, who's the second best. Tosh was third. Tuioti was fourth, and Junior Adams was fifth. And that just speaks to how special last year's recruiting went from this new staff. Um, but to that point, we've seen both Lupoi and Tuioti do really well. But I think Matt's point is is a salient one in terms of they might have done a lot of heavy lifting in 2023 along the defensive line. They did. I mean, it was like almost what almost double digits in terms of the number of ads, but that's a position where you're going to see, and Matt ran through the names, like a totally different group next year. And I think it's imperative. They get some high school difference makers. I know you're going to see them use, this is probably going to be where a lot of the portal attention will be come next off season. We'll be finding guys on the edge and the defensive line and some linebackers, just veteran guys in the front seven. But you definitely want to make sure you add some guys. And Oregon is in on, we should note, some of the very, very best linebackers, edge, defensive linemen in the country right now. I think that could be a really special class. But, yeah, if they if they were to strike out or, or maybe just not add some of these blue chippers or, or these real, real early, you know, day one contributor types, like a, a five-star or a borderline five-star like a Mateo, that's going to be something that's going to be somewhat concerning for next season. I don't disagree. All right, we're going to finish up with a question from Shell Bingo. I think it's Shell Bing U of O is, is what it is. Sorry, I, I didn't proofread this one well enough before I looked at it here. Yeah, I think Shell Bing U of O. Um, maybe this is Shelly Bing. It was a University of Oregon fan, perhaps. Um, Possibly. Question, hashtag odds and audibles. Will the recent quarterback commitments, do you think landing – is leaning towards making an, an internal quarterback competition next year between the four scholarship quarterbacks. So they have some continuity at that position going forward for the next few years. <clears throat> well, I'm sure they'd like that. Um, and cause one of the things I wrote down here was I think quarterbacks, one of the positions that you want that to be a luxury portal position and not a necessity. So I think if they get into next off season going, we need to find a quarterback. We have to get yeah. somebody. What we have right now is not good enough then they're going to be, that's probably not a great thing. And that sort of tells you where they are with, I think specifically Ty Thompson, who let's be real of the four guys we're talking about as internal candidates. He'll be going into, gosh, will it be his fourth year next year? Yeah. 
Next year would be yeah. his, his fourth year. And your expectation is it, it's basically put up or shut up. You know, you, if, you're gonna, if you're not going to do it, then you're never going to do it. And so if they get to the point where they have to go add one of the and there's no doubt in my mind it would be one of the top guys. If they get to the point where they say, hey, let's we have to go add a top guy, that means they've given up on Ty. And that also probably means that none of the three younger guys are ready. And I wouldn't even really blame them or have an issue with, like, if Austin Novosad, who I still think is very much a developmental player, needs to work on his body, I'm not expecting him in 2024 to be, like, ready to be a starting quarterback. I'm not expecting, frankly, either of the true freshmen to be either, just because if you look at the history of, of starting quarterbacks as true freshmen at Oregon, it's a pretty short list. You know, Justin Herbert obviously entered midway through um, – what was that in 2017? But you have to go back a pretty long way to find like a day one. I remember we tried to do that exercise at one point. And I think it was hard for us to find who the day one true freshman starter is. So I don't expect either of those guys to really win the job. So, like to me, this is if you think if you get through the season, you go, Ty's ready. This is his job. Then yeah, you'll carry it out. You probably won't use the portal. Maybe you use the portal to find, I don't know, like a, a walk on of some sort. So you're not eating a scholarship, but. I think that would be the path there. But if Ty's not ready, he's probably transferring to go somewhere else. And you're going to go find a portal quarterback who comes from another school who's been a reliable, capable starter. I don't know if it's going to be a Bo Nix deal where he's got three years and some accolades or not, but that would be the path. So I, I think they hope they don't have to find another quarterback. But if they have to, they have to. I think this is a tough one because I'll start with this. The only way I feel like they definitively know that they don't need to go add a quarterback ahead of next season, next season being the 2024 year, is that at some point during the 2023 football season, Bo Nix gets hurt or something happens and he can't play. And whether that's Ty Thompson or whether that's Austin Novosad, one of those two guys gets into the game for an extended period of time. It's not a quarter. It's not a half. It's probably two or three, four games and plays lights out. And it's like, or the end of the year, you know, maybe in November, Bo Nix gets hurt again. And the first week, you know, the first, you know, Bo, Ty Thompson wins. They, they choose Ty Thompson. He gets into the game and finishes the last four games of the regular season. They get to the Pac-12 championship game. They play in a, in a bowl game. So he's got six games under his belt, and he just looks tremendous. It clicks. It looks good. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, he he's he looks good. He looks like the guy that's, that's going to be the starter now next season. That's like, in my head, the only way that a coach doesn't, you know, the, the coaches don't go out and say, we need to add a, a, another quarterback to the mix. Um, or maybe they play – so many blowout scenario games that you get the equivalent of three or four, five full games for Austin Novosad or Ty Thompson. And he looks tremendous in those games. And you can walk away thinking like, okay, we know, you know, this is going to be the starter. This is going to be the backup. We've got two freshmen coming in. Um, we don't need to go out a portal guy, or we don't need to add a, a Juco guy or what have you. Um, I, I think, what's ultimately going to happen is they're going to find a portal guy and it, it may not be a caliber of a Bo Nix because maybe Ty Thompson or Nova Sad shows that 
they're progressing and they feel comfortable, but they still want to add that element of competition during camp, during spring ball. Um, but I, I fully expect that they add somebody to this mix. You know, I, I, it just scares the hell out of me that your options would be Ty Thompson, who through his first three years at Oregon has not looked good. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that's his fault. Some of that isn't his fault. Um, and then you've got three freshmen, whether that's Austin or maybe Austin has had plays and he's a sophomore, but it'd be a, it'd be a second year sophomore. And then you have two freshmen that have never taken a single snap of college football. And while I think both Luke Moga and Michael Van Buren are very good quarterbacks, will be power five starters at, you know, when they get to the college level, these aren't guys like Bryce Young um, or Trevor Lawrence um, that when they showed up, it was like, yeah, he's playing as a true freshman because it, yeah. he's unbelievably good. He's a once in a generation type recruit. These aren't those guys. Um, that just puts a lot of pressure for me uh, on basically four guys who haven't really played much. So I, I think they go out and they get it. So just two, two more thoughts here. Um, one being, I like, I think you make a good point of you need to see some on-field performance to feel comfortable with handing the reins over. Hypothetically, if let's just, let's just name it Ty, because I think it's most likely at this point, let's just, we'll speak in those terms. And if it ends up being Austin, that'd be awesome. That would be really encouraging and unexpected because he's a true freshman. And that would be, that would make yeah. the fan base really excited. But let's say Ty gets in on four, you know, four fourth quarters, looks good, and then Oregon doesn't play in the college football playoff. I know I'm disappointing fans with this scenario, but they get to a bowl game. Bo decides not to play this time. I think that runs counter to expectations anyway because Bo made it pretty clear this last year he wanted to play regardless of what he was doing. But let's say that happens and Ty comes out and in that game, you know, throws for 360 yards, three touchdowns, looks good. Is that enough evidence, do you think? Or do you really think you need like in-game regular season, you know, reps as opposed to just a bowl? I game? guess like if he looked phenomenal during fall camp scrimmages, if he looked good um throughout fall and during, you know, during the practices, like typically on Fridays, I I'm pretty sure that they still do this. Um, we're not allowed into practice on Fridays, but the past three or four coaches that have treated Fridays kind of like a walkthrough guys get they get lathered up a little bit but it's also an opportunity for the scout team the red shirt guys who aren't going to be playing in the games they do like a a short scrimmage like 30 minute scrimmage right. um typically on fridays if ty is running is playing in those and is looking really good consistently it doesn't have to be every single one but if he's out there playing good doing good like then i could see yeah like maybe that's enough but i so much of this, like I, I'd want to see on-field success when the opponent is truly trying to hit him, and you know, like the the defensive line. Like I remember joking with um, talking to Imani during spring ball when he was waiting for Bo Nix to finish up, and I I looked at him and was like, "How many times do you feel like you've just grazed Bo Nix?" <laughs> and he was like, zero. We we get yelled at, you know, profusely if we even come close to touching the guys in red. So like I, I want to see on-field situations where the opponents, the defensive line, the defensive linebackers, all those guys, they're trying to touch the quarterback. They're you know, they're not been trained, they haven't been trained to hey, 
this is a no-go. You don't you, you don't touch him because that does impact how games play, how scrimmages are played when you can't touch the quarterback. Yeah, you don't you want more than seven on seven reps. You you want you want yes. him to actually have and, and actually and that's a good point because I think Ties would be a much better from what we've seen a much better seven on seven quarterback than he would be yeah. an eleven on eleven quarterback with a live rush because we've seen that cause problems. And then th- just the last point I was going to make would be. I think from a scholarship perspective, it's unlikely they would carry five next year. So adding a portal player probably means that's a straight-up trade between whoever portal player is and Ty Thompson. Because I think if you're going to add a player to compete with him, maybe he'll want to stick around and see if he can win. But I find it unlikely that Ty is going to say, hey, shoot, okay, yeah, I've been waiting for three years. Let's wait for a fourth, and I'm not going to look around. So I'm not saying that that is going to be a thing that maybe makes most Oregon fans disappointed because I think a lot of them have written him off already. And, and I, yeah, I've already said it where I stand on that before. But, you know, if you do take up transfer quarterback, I don't think you're going to carry five scholarship quarterbacks. So the, I think the thought would be Ty's gone, Austin's gone, probably Ty. And, again, that might not be too much of an issue, but I just think that's the reality of where it goes because I think carrying five is that's pretty unusual. I don't even think of that being a thing that took place much in, in past years. So. Yeah, I I don't know. I go back and forth. I feel like next year it might be the, the – if you're going to have a year where you carry five, because I'm in agreement, normally it's four. At the um, most, and, yeah. And sometimes it's three. Like um, last, last year and the year before that and the year before that. Yes. It's been three. Yeah. But I think the way that the roster is constructed, the lack of experience between the group, it might be valuable enough to bring in five. But you have to look at, like, where is this going to impact things? Um, do they don't, you know, do they take two running backs again in 2024? Or do they say maybe we don't take any in 2024? I don't think that, I think they want one. Um, right. I do too. At least. But, you know, you got tight end. What do you do at receiver? Like, do you, they're trying to sign four, five, maybe even six receivers. Do you maybe pare that down to four, maybe five instead of four, five, maybe even six? Um, I, I don't know. It, it would get interesting, but just, I just get scared of the lack of experience, the lack of production that you have once Bo's gone. Um, I, a lot of what happens in 2023 is going to decide that answer. And we don't yeah. have that right now. Um, but a lot of what happens in 2023, I think, will decide how many guys they have on roster that are, that are scholarship quarterbacks. Do they go portal? Do they do they see a transfer? Do they do they just stand pat? A lot of those answers will get solved pretty quickly. Yeah, I think it's an interesting spot to be. And Oregon has been in a situ- has been in situations like this before, where we've had very interesting quarterback battles and we could be in for a really interesting one in, in 2024 where you're looking at Ty being quote unquote your veteran even though he has no in-game experience or next to none and then three young guys and then maybe as Matt to Matt's point I think it's a fair one you might toss in another veteran guy who's come over as a portal player so five guys would be an awful lot and I think my guess is if you've actually brought in five, again, you're probably not going to have five by the time you get to fall. I, I yeah. just think someone's probably going to say, and, and again, Ty would make the logical sense. He's probably going to say, hey, not going to be, it's not my time. I'm going to go somewhere else and, and find myself a better opportunity. So, but that's going to be something that's going to be really, I think, worth monitoring as we get through this season is 
hopefully Bo Nix is available every single game for every snap yes. that's meaningful. I think they should be knocking on wood. They saw what happened last year when that wasn't the case. But hopefully you get to this season also having an idea, at least, what Ty Thompson can provide. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for submitting your questions. Head to DuckTerritory.com for more discussion on the Oregon Ducks, Oregon football recruiting, and everything in between. Until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.